Podcast One production. Hi, I'm Nat Kringudis. And I'm Cecilia Ramsdale. Welcome to The Wellness Collective, a podcast where we invite you to be part of our wellness community to share, learn and live better. On this episode of The Wellness Collective, we are very excited to be talking about, I guess, a topic we haven't dived into before. No. More around... Maybe we say teenage sexual health? Yeah, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Is that how we give it a title? Oh, I don't know. Let's see how it develops and maybe we can find the title by the end. <laughs> <laughs> but we're also really lucky that our guest is in studio today. And um, actually, let's just let our guest reveal who they are. Mm, Please. Yeah, thanks. Well, my name is Lael Stone and I am a birth, parenting and sexuality educator. So I teach on all those topics to parents, to teenagers. Uh, and, you know, my great love is helping, uh, helping empower people to make choices that feel good for them across all those platforms. But, you know, particularly around sexual health for teenagers is about, you know, creating a new paradigm for them around what it is to be a teenager, you know, my, my focus is mainly pleasure-based education for teens. It's about helping them stay safe, helping them understand how, you know, consent works, all those kind of things, but really about changing the way that it's been done before to give them, I guess, empowerment around what it is to be a teenager these days and that big, you know, awkward topic that many don't want to talk about around sex. So before we get into that, you obviously, I met you through your work with women and birthing mm-hmm. and... Yep. So this wasn't on your radar at that time. No. So how no. do we get here? How do we get like, here? How do we get here? Like most people, you know, you kind of end up falling into work that you want to know about. So yeah, so my background is in childbirth. So I've worked in birth for about the last 15 years, educating couples, supporting people, working with women who've had birth trauma, all that kind of stuff. And then I moved more into parenting because I was doing a lot of work with- Because you had a, a couple. Week. Yeah, because I've got three <laughs> kids, that's it. And so of course, as my kids got bigger, I was like, oh, I need to know more about this and how do I raise them with as much awareness and consciousness as possible? And then I had teenagers. <laughs> so <laughs> when my happened. son, you know, I think was around about 11 and 12, it just kind of hit me of like, oh my God, there's this whole other world here. And what I really do want to do is create healthy sexuality for my kids. So how do I go about that? So I, I threw myself into a lot of research, did a lot of study, went and, you know, learned a lot from a lot of amazing people. And then by accident, I found myself teaching sex education in schools because the school my son was at knew that I worked in childbirth and they like, will you come and talk to the kids about birth? And I was like, yeah. Then I started teaching about birth and then I was like, is anyone talking to them about porn and sex? And they're like, nah. And I'm like, oh, okay, well, I need to come back. <laughs> and uh, and it just evolved from there. So that's really been the last five years. So, um, and really, you know, it, this work kind of combines, I think, all my work of, of what I see a lot with women over the years in birth, that when they come to give birth, I, I met so many women who had so much fear around their bodies, around childbirth. And a lot of that was just because they didn't have the right correct information. So my philosophy is if we can start young and if we can start with giving our teens the right information about how their bodies work, being connected to their bodies, then we're setting an imprint for them to move through that whole transition with a lot more awareness and education, which of course always makes a difference. Hmm. It's very easy to think that with any aspect, but particularly with bodies and the way things work, that everybody knows what you know. Now, I only probably know the basics, Hmm. but when it comes to like, um, you know, sex ed, I remember 
remember learning at school the basics mm-hmm. and stuff, and that's probably about as far as mm-hmm. it's really gone at all. Yes. But you do hear stories about people that have gone into all kinds of situations. I don't think they... we learnt the basics. I don't even know what it was called that we learned. Really? That wasn't the basics. That mm. was like a sidestep of a basic. I knew that very much like... so that condoms were very important, that STDs were a real yes, thing, but that I, you... I don't you know, know about you, but I was told... How babies were made... Yes, but I was taught that that could happen in any moment at any time, and that you pashed a boy and yes. potentially you were considered at risk. Like, maybe, you maybe not need quite. to go back I'm, to your I'm school. exaggerating, but mm. there was no awareness around a menstrual cycle. Yep. There was no connection with ovulation needing to happen for conception. Yes. Yes. It was very fear based. It was all about all the, the things that could go wrong, mm. and absolutely no appreciation for a woman's body. Yes. Like, that just and wasn't here's there. The big thing no one talked about pleasure. Of course. So, you know, I I often say in my workshops that I run for parents and I run workshops on how to talk to your kids about sex, like I say to them at the beginning, okay, think back to the talk or the information you got around sex. Did that fulfil all your needs and, um, you know, desires around what you wanted to know? And everyone laughs and goes, of course not. And I go, did anyone ever talk to you about pleasure, particularly for girls? Did anyone talk to you about how your body's designed to work? And they're like, nah. And I'm like, so these, (laughs) these young girls, and I think the reason why this is so important in this day and age is because we have porn these days, and that oh, is our main really sex educator for teenagers. Well, and if it yes, because we're not talking about it, that's yep. where we're turning. That's where they go. So, yep. as I was just saying before we started recording, my next book is very much targeted mm. at young women understanding mm. their bodies, mm. and I recognised that this conversation wasn't happening. Mm. That for boys, it was very much a very light-hearted, oh, you're stepping into your manhood, ha, 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 you have a wet dream, go and sort out your erection, go to your bedroom and, mm-hmm. and without being rude, go play with yourself and work it out, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. But women, <laughs> the responsibility of conce- contraception mm-hmm. lied on them. Yes. So it became very serious very quickly. Yep. There's nothing to do with pleasure. Yep. No, it's true because it's nothing all about all. if you do this wrong, it can screw up your life. Correct. So totally. it became a really heavy topic really quickly, I yes. think, mm. for a woman, a young woman, whereas a a young man doesn't really have that same heaviness. It's actually kind of a bit lighthearted and a bit funny, a bit exciting. And so how do we make it exciting for women? And sorry to cut you yeah, off. One no. more thing that I, when I was writing this book, I was like <laughs> educating myself going, oh my gosh, that's what that does. Mm-hmm. Like no one taught me. Totally, totally. So <laughs> I have, true. I have these, amazing, um, these amazing puppets that I take. They're puppets. They're not really, they're like pillows. They're, they're like vulva cushions. So they're oh God, a vulva and a vagina, right? And so one of them just shows you basic anatomy. The other one, you can feel where the actual clitoris is and the legs of the clitoris and you can feel if, if you know, where the G-spot is. So you're actually giving these girls an opportunity to actually feel what anatomy feels like if they don't want to feel it on themselves Mm -hmm. and then explaining what that actually does and how that actually works. And so what I find is that these young girls go, I had no idea. And all of a sudden there becomes open a whole other conversation around, well, what feels good for me and how is my body designed to work? You know, and we, I talk a lot about how your hormones are designed to work. So Mm. for young girls saying, you know, we need oxytocin, which is what makes us feel good, makes us feel safe, makes us feel relaxed. It's what gets us turned on and ready to have sex. Now, if you don't feel safe in your environment, if you don't feel like you really trust the person you're with, if you think that you're at a party and you could get busted, that is not going to allow your body to open up and do what it's going to do. And and probably you're going to have bad sex and it may hurt. You know, So when we look at how the body is designed to work, just from a purely biological point of view, they go, oh, okay. And that then makes them actually question, do I want to do this now? Does this feel good for me? Am I ready for this? Is my body mm. ready for this? this, it, it sparks those questions as opposed to kind of the blanket statement, 
which it's been for a long time of just don't have sex mm, yeah. until you're married or if you do use contraception and then that's it you know so there's there's that in between bit that's missing I love though that you put it that way there's two things we need to talk about there oxytocin <clears throat> and the other one being the fact <laughs> that Cecilia's you... wanted to do a <laughs> podcast <laughs> on oxytocin <laughs> for like ever yeah, can we just two and a half tick years. the box yeah. okay in a second that box? <laughs> first of all I want to say I love that you are bringing it back to the biology because mm. I think the thing like I I look at my kids and I'm like, oh man, I don't I don't know where to begin with this conversation. Mm. Um, but uh, we were watching um, uh, that kids TV show, uh, Operation Ulch, mm-hmm. which I think is brilliant. Yeah, it's great, really good show. Yeah. Two, two doctors from England, they're twins, and they they break down medical stuff for kids. Yes. And they did a whole thing on puberty, and it was on the other day, and I was just in the kitchen like preparing dinner, and the kids were watching it, and I thought, I'm just going to see how this goes because they're little still. Mm. But the way that they presented it was so good because it was all just about this is what happens to your body at this age yes. and it's normal and it's fine and don't think it's strange, yes. you know, and your hair is going to appear and here and there and, you know, for girls this is called a period and this is why it happens. And I thought, oh, my God, they have just broken through that first barrier for me wow. because yes. I don't have to broach it. I can say, well, you know, when you saw it on the TV show, yes. that's what happens and it's not something to be upset about or, or yes. you know, embarrassed about because they told you. It happens to everybody. Mm. Totally. And, look, the thing with sex education, what I say to my um, to the adults all the time is it is not one chat. It is many, many, many chats. And it starts when your kids are young. So it starts by giving, you know, teaching your kids about their bodies just by, you know, giving the right anatomical names for their body parts. It's about teaching them about parts that are private and that are perhaps a, a public. Mm-hmm. So anything under your bathing suit is not for anybody else to touch or if they ask to look at it. So you start from a young age by giving your kids really basic education around sexuality or in their body. So it's not about sex. You know, when people are up in arms when I say, yeah, you start talking to your four-year-old about sex, they're like, what do you mean? I'm like, it's about how your body works. It's purely biology. You teach your kids about how you Mm. breathe and how you digest food, you know, and then you just talk them how babies are made. Now, kids don't have any, um, for them, it's not about sex like what we see it is until really they start to hit puberty. You know, it's just for them, it's just how your body functions. So, you know, my philosophy is when we start to talk to our kids about age-appropriate information and we continue that conversation over their whole time of growing up, it becomes a normalised conversation so that it's not an awkward talk. There's not shame that's associated with that. It just becomes another thing that we talk about around the dinner table and it makes it normal. And then what that does then, I find for teenagers, is that when they start to go through puberty or when they are becoming sexually active, it's just a normal conversation that you have. Mm. It's not an awkward thing. Now, by what I often think is that when we don't talk about it, we just we create a shame mm. barrier around it just yeah. by not talking about that's it. that's true. And, and so, you know, what we want to do is have open conversations. And I always talk about for people, you know, we just look for teachable moments. You know, when a mm. four-year-old sees a pregnant belly and she goes, how did the baby get in there? Well, you can say, well, it takes, you know, a man and a woman to make a baby and, and there's a sperm and there's an egg. And it and you talk to them about it like as simply as that and they just go, oh, yeah, mm-hmm. that's yeah, it. Yeah, you don't it's, have to go into how no, those you're not talking about intimacy come together. and orgasm. <laughs> and, you know, that, that doesn't happen until they're later when they ask more, more questions. Okay, so I had this situation the other night because I've got a boy and a girl, older boy, younger girl. 
And, you know, we've had all the conversation about privacy and, you know, you don't touch anybody and mm. you don't ask anybody to take their clothes off to mm. play and mm. it's, it's hard, but, you know. But also I also think that they're just kids and they're just working stuff out. Like, and I also think that our kids these days are so heavily monitored. Mm. Every bit of their behaviour is judged by some adult or, or the other. And um, so it's easy to kind of misread things, whereas kids are just trying to work out what they're doing. The two of them were in the bath the other night, though, and they've decided to have baths again together, and it's really just about convenience. They don't care. Yes. But they were both on their backs with their naked bums in the air mm. and they're having a whale of a time. And mm. I just said to them, you're going to have no surprises when it comes mm. to meeting the opposite sex when you're teenagers <laughs> because she's got everything on display, he's right. got everything on display, and they're just like, Oh, well, that's just the way it is. Yes, that's and I thought, great. That's I'm so good. I'm not going to say that's wrong. No, yes, my you kids know. still shower together. Yeah, yes. and like, you want to normalise bodies. Yeah. You know, like up until really their teens. I mean, we were a pretty naked house, so my kids were all naked. And then when they started to go through puberty, they did feel a bit more private. Yeah. But, but you know, I think that normalising how our bodies work and, and and what that looks like is the biggest gift you can give them. So even coming back to you, Nat, for around you know menstruation for young girls. You know, I've talked to my girls. You know, and about menstruation from whenever they were really little about mm. this is what my body does so that they know it's a normal thing and, and I talk about how amazing it is their body works so that when my daughter did get her period there was nothing but excitement she was just like she came running into the room going it's arrived it's arrived <laughs> That's so cute. and then we had this big celebration about it and it was just this normal part of, of growing yeah, up you know there's good. no shame attached to it there's nothing wrong I find wrong. that conversation hard yeah yeah totally <laughs> but no, no. yeah I and mean, look it is it is confronting but yeah. I think the more we have these conversations, the better we get it, mm. get at it as parents, the more comfortable we begin to feel with it. And then, you know, then what we're doing is imprinting in our kids that this is just a normal part of being a human sexuality. So, you know, I often talk in my workshop and my son gives permission for me to talk about this, but you know, when I'm going, I'm going to the milk bar, I mean, going to the supermarket, does anybody need anything? And he's like, I need some deodorant and some condoms. I'm like, yeah, no worries. And I just, you know, buy them for him because I go, at least he's having safe sex. This is wonderful. And it's just something that he asks for because he knows that that's just normal part of, of being, you know, a, a healthy teenage boy, mm. you know, that, that who's sexually active, you know, mm. and that's ideally what we want is to have these conversations that are open and fluid mm. so that our teenagers know they can come to you and ask you these questions. You know, that's really what we want as well so that they're not going to the internet not for sure that. if we've got the answers though. <laughs> but I think it's like anything. In my research for writing this book, what I learnt was that we actually, um, this current generation of teenagers are actually the most sensible, the most educated, the most, they're mm-hmm. the best behaved throughout all of time. And I think it comes down to this. <laughs> but I wonder, I don't think our parents were doing a bad job. I just don't think that it was a different time of living and we didn't have these conversations mm-hmm. because they weren't, it wasn't okay. Yes. And, and you know, I look at my mum and she definitely did the best job she could. She handed me a book. We spoke about it a lot. Mm-hmm. I was obsessed with the book. Mm-hmm. Like I read the book Clearly, over and over. And I know. Into a but you know what's funny is I didn't realise that. Mm-hmm. I didn't, it wasn't, that wasn't a connection that I made until recently. But I think mum did an amazing job at the time, but now looking back, I'm like, wow, there was so much more to know. And and I think the reason why we do have to have these conversations is because porn is our biggest educator. And and, and if we go ahead, go along as a parent thinking, my kid's not going to see porn, I think you're kidding yourself because it's just, a, it's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. Mm. Because the internet is everywhere and even with all those blocks on your phones and your computers mm-hmm. and all those kind of things, you know, they might go to someone else's house and a child might see it. So we're, we're having children be exposed to porn from the age of eight 
weight. You know, accidentally often they're not looking for it, but around about the age of 11 or 12, they go Mm. looking for it. So, Mm. and that is normal because it's natural curiosity. So what we need to do is we need to talk to our kids before then, you Mm. know, around that there are pictures on the internet or there's videos on the internet that are not good. You know, sometimes we see violence, sometimes we see people doing, you know, acts of sex that are also not healthy and we begin those conversations gently and slowly so that when they are teenagers, you are having a conversation around what we need to understand is that what porn is, is not real. So when I go into high schools and talk to kids about that, you know, we break down, well, what do you see in porn? Because all of them have watched porn. Okay, Mm. so we see that there's no kissing, we see there's no consent, we see there's no contraception, we see that it's usually about the male's pleasure, not about the female's pleasure. So we break it all down as to what we see and then we talk about actually what does real intimacy look like and what do you think sex might look like and feel good around, you know, that's different to that porn. So we have to talk to them about how it also affects their brain because porn does a lot of bad stuff to, to kids' brains, mm. particularly if they're watching a lot of it. Oh, and, and, you know, I was reading a study the other day that said, you know, we have some young men who by the age of 14 have watched hundreds and hundreds of hours of porn. And we're not just thinking soft porn, we're talking hardcore porn because that's what's there. Before they've even actually held a girl's hand or kissed oh, her, they've watched hundreds of hours of porn. Now, what so. that's done is created this association in their brains with what being turned on feels like. So that when they are actually with a girl, just the act of kissing or even the excitement of being with someone doesn't even register. So it's not even real though. That's the issue there, isn't it? That they've got this expectation that's yes. never going to be met. Yes, yes. How crazy. This Which is why we have to have them this up conversation. for a terrible Absolutely. life as yes, well. totally. Goodness. And then we also see have females who then feel like they have to be what we call porn ready, mm. which means that young girls need to feel look sexy enough and, mm. and do it how what females look like on porn, which again is not true and accurate. Oh, and then we see a lot of young me. girls getting damaged, you know, because of, mm. pl- um, you know, acting out these these sexual acts that they don't particularly want to do but don't know how to say no around it. So this is where, again, we need to have these conversations. Mm. As uncomfortable as they may be, mm. we need to have these conversations. There's an amazing um, free program that's out for parents. It's called Culture Reframed and it's a UK program and it's a free program that you can do with your teenagers, so for parents, and it takes you through all this topic that we're talking about. It's a wonderful thing to sit down and do. It's an online program with your teens because then it opens up conversations for you guys to have around that and it's giving them that basic information about the impact of pornography and how dangerous it is, you know, for our young minds and also, you know, for ourselves sexually. I think too, um, (laughs) my favourite TV show that's on at the moment is Dating Naked or the Adam and Eve one, Mm. not because I'm... Who's dating naked? Weird proclivities. It just makes me laugh so much that these people go on a game show, which is essentially them being naked naked? with strangers. It's like the one where they get married naked. What's with that? Uh, I don't know. Remember that was on the radio? Well, on the radio, it's not quite as effective, yeah, but is actually, it? Well, that's what they did, though. That was the there in front of it. Anyway, No, but stupid. this show, so there's like a, a European version, like the Swedish version, which is on SBS and you get the whole full frontal. Hilarious. But then there's the American version, which is tidied up. Mm. They've got the, the black dots to cover all the mm. genitals. But everyone that goes on that show, too, is all like a dancer or they're all mm. buff. And, you mm. know, so there's all these hot bodies. Yeah. But the European one is just no holds barred. And there are bodies that look like every which way. And apart from the the sexual element of it that perhaps isn't appropriate for all audiences, I think it's so good to just see all these different body shapes and these people that are comfortable enough in those bodies to go on a TV show (laughs) and walk around naked for weeks because nakedness is still really kind of taboo, isn't it? Totally. You know, we actually, I think the more you delve into... 
um, sexuality, you know, the more repressed we are as a culture, you know, we don't mm. like to talk about it, you know, and, and there's still a strong belief if we don't talk about it to our teens or we, we think that they won't be doing it, they're doing it. They're, like what we did, like our parents did, we're, you know, hormones mm. happen and we're like, right, this is what's on. And and what I see more and more and more in my work is that these teenagers want to have these conversations. They're actually looking for this information. They want to know how to do it safely and healthy and they want to know more about relationships and intimacy. Yeah. So they can't, it's been drummed into them about STIs and contraception, stuff like that. So they've got a good grasp on that, but they do want to know more about what it is like to be intimate and how do I break up with someone if I don't like them? And, and what if I am mm. in a situation and I want to say no, but I don't know how to, you know, how can I, what, what can I say for that? How, what words can I use around that? So they're wanting this information. And, and I, I think, again, I see that the big divide is that parents are feeling uncomfortable because of their own hangups around sexuality, yes. that they're then not having these conversations with their kids. And, and I, look, I always say, look, our, our biggest imprint on our children is how we live in our own houses. Mm. So how we are with each other in relationship, are we kind and tender to our partners? Are we playful? You know, are we respectful? Well, then that's often the imprint your kids are going to get, which is a good thing, which is great for some, horrifying for others. Yes. Um, but that is where the work really begins. You know, when your kids are little is, is that imprint of how that looks in your own family and then opening up these conversations. And, I, and often that means having to sit with some of your own uncomfortable feelings first. All right, we're just going to take a quick break. Stick around and uh, we'll more. be back. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. On this episode of The Wellness Collective, we are speaking with Lael Stone about, well, what it is to be a teenager and dealing with sexuality these days. I know, right? I think the thing that they're dealing with as teenagers that we weren't is, of course, social media. Yes, I heard who, yes. someone was telling me the other day about their sister was having real trouble finding a boyfriend. She was in her early 20s and apparently there's this thing now where you meet someone, you check out their online profile and... Then when you have spent, you know, gone on a couple of dates with them and they don't live up to this persona that they've put out mm, there, yep. you move on. And there's, there's, it's oh like you goodness. don't get the chance to kind of get to know each other because you're expecting this person to be this person that they have have presented, I guess, yes, yes. on social media. Yeah. And you just think, oh, so many missed opportunities because of the assumptions. They're totally. And also I think the thing with social media, it, it, what's different from our generation is that, you know, we used to compare ourselves to the people we went to school with, mm-hmm. the kids in the neighbourhood when you went to catch the bus home. Or maybe the kids on Neighbours. Yeah. About <laughs> <laughs> yes. that. Rebecca yes. Emma Logley. Yes, yes, yes. exactly. Yes, yes. That's yes. who we were you comparing You a little us. bit like, oh, gee, you know, in, in the olden days. <laughs> but what our kids, our teenagers do, they're comparing themselves to the world. You know, and, yeah. and particularly around, um, yeah, you know, I think about this for, for young girls, particularly because I work a lot with teenage girls, is that they are they're being told through social media that they need to be sexy all the time, right? So mm. they're being told that they need to pose, they need to be sexy, right? So that's the, the information the that they get. Yeah, totally. That's the information <laughs> they get fed of how you should be. But then you're not allowed to be too sexy, right? Oh so then if you're too sexy and you're with a guy or you're with a partner and, and that gets out, then you're labelled, you know, mm-hmm. as being a slut or something mm-hmm. like that. So so we go, where do young women fit? You know, you're being told to be sexy but not too sexy, but then you, you can't appear that you don't really care or you know, then you get labelled as something else. So there's all these labels that sit for females, not so much for males. And that's one of the big things that the teens, you know, particularly the girls, get really angry about. You oh, know? Absolutely. So in creating this conversation really, and I'm assuming this is part of what you're enrolling 
um, kids into or young teens, uh, teenagers, not young teens, into, it's this mutual respect. It's how do we teach men or young men to respect women, mm. but equally how do we, I think, I think, do women respect men? I feel like they kind of, on the whole, want to or do. Is, I don't know. What is that? Like, do you understand what I'm trying to say here? Yeah. Well, I think part of what the conversation I talk to the kids about as a mixed class, you know, when we have boys and girls together, is that I say, you know, what is it like for a boy, you know, if you like somebody and you want to be with them and you have pleasure in that, is that an okay thing? And they say, yeah. And I say, and if you really enjoy it and want to do it again, is that good? And they go, yeah. So then if we put it for a female, she um, likes to have sex, it feels pleasurable, she wants to do it, is that okay? And they automatically go, no, it's not okay because of the label that's attached to to that. So then I say to the kids, so how do we change that? Mm. And part of changing that dynamic is actually going, you need to stand up for each other and actually go, it is okay for my friend Jessica to like having sex because that is normal and that is a human function and good for her for enjoying that. And why is it that it's okay for men to do it, but not okay for young women to do it and the labels associated with it? So I'm like, you need to stand up for each other around this. And even in the sense we talk about too, you know, we also need to look out for each other if we are at a party and you see Mm. someone who's had a bit to drink and they're going to do something sexually that they probably shouldn't be doing, then you want to go up and say, you know what, you're more than this, mate. Come on, you're my friend. I want to look after you. You want to look out for Mm. each other in the sense of what feels good for your soul and feels good for you. Mm. So it's kind of saying it's not just about the labels we get but looking out for each other in that bigger picture and respect for everybody around it because that's, I think, the thing that, you know, I mean, look, and we had the same kind of labels when we were growing up. We had it but it is just louder now, much louder. everywhere. Yes, yes. Can we talk about oxytocin? (laughs) (laughs) So I saw, uh, I think it was Catalyst, the ABC show, um, a couple of years ago they did a whole program on oxytocin and how amazingly powerful it is. Now, we do talk about oxytocin in the context of having babies. Mm-hmm. That's probably where it gets the most mm. airplay. airplay. Mm-hmm. Um, but you've just brought up the fact mm. that it's involved in sex. Yes. Well, fascinatingly, when I teach sex uh, sex classes, when I teach birth classes and I talk about the sa- the four main hormones that we release at the, when we give birth, they're the exact four hormones that we release when we make love. So I often have this saying is the way you make the baby is actually the way the baby comes out, right? So the environment that you need to have good lovemaking or the environment that a woman might need to orgasm, she needs to feel safe. She needs to feel relaxed. She needs to be able to take her time. She needs to feel like she's not going to get interrupted that's usually what is conducive to a woman's body releasing lots of oxytocin, having an orgasm, feeling good. Now, that's what we do with lovemaking. It's exactly the same with birth. You know, what women need in order to birth well is often feeling safe, relaxed, all those kind of same things. So they're absolutely, it's the same thing. We just had different outcomes. One's an orgasm, one's a baby. But the thing is we can tap into it without having to have an orgasm yes, or a baby, yes, can't yes, we? Yes, totally we can. Yeah, so oxytocin is released when we feel good. So it's a feel-good hormone. We release oxytocin when we're with people that we love love, when we laugh, when someone touches us and hugs us and it feels lovely, that's where it's transmitted. And, it, and it's very addictive oxytocin, which is why we always want to keep moving towards feeling good. And I think having that understanding about how that feel good hormone works, because it's also a very shy hormone, so that when it feels threatened or when it feels um, that there's you know danger around or it's not okay to open up and be safe, then it hides. And that's something that coming back to the sex stuff I talked to about the kids, particularly for the females. I'm like, your body is not going to get 
get turned on and, and lubricated and be ready and open to accept, you know, penetration or anything like that. If you don't feel safe, relaxed, calm, all those kind of things, it's going to shut down because it's very clever and it says, no, 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 this doesn't feel right for me. Mm. And so even, you know, bringing it back to how our bodies work in, in that sense of, you know, oxytocin works, how prolactin works, which is wanting us to bond and connect after we have had an orgasm, we want to snuggle up. There's a reason why we want to do that, you know, because we have that hormone that goes, oh, it's nice to be close to each other. <laughs> um, you know, all those kind of things, you know, when we have that understanding of how those hormones work, make a massive difference, I think, in, in moving forward. But if, of course, if you're educating young people on this, it's a, it's a game changer because all of a sudden they're not having sex just to tick a box and go, I did that. Yes. Um, it becomes much more about, well, I think you're, you're talking about the biology of it, which makes it fact. Mm. But and maybe even the whole someone needs to love each other very correct. much comes from that. I remember agree, we all got totally. told that. Well, That's I, how I our babies made. They need yes, to love I each don't... other very much. And we all scoffed at that idea. Yes. Well, <laughs> and there's no harm in that either. But, yeah. Course, and look, so. at, that comes back to your values. And I say that to parents all the time. You know, part of sex education is about imparting your values as well, whether that is you want to wait for them to be married before you have sex or be in love. And that's unique to every person. What I often say to teenagers is that it is a personal thing that's got to come back to what feels right for you. So we we want you to make a decision from a strong yes. So I have this saying, and my, my teenage daughter often rolls her eyes when I say it, but it's so <laughs> ingrained in her head now, that I said, when you are in a situation where you're thinking, maybe I should do that, maybe I shouldn't, then it's a no mm. until it's a strong yes, right? And so she she talks about that all the time. Her friends now talk about that, that you have to tune into your body, which comes back to this connection thing of tuning into your body and going, does this feel really good for me? Do I feel safe to want to do this? Can I open up and do this? Um, and 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 that can be yes. Now, that doesn't mean you have to be in love, but it might mean that you need to be in the right environment and you need to trust this person. And, and I always say to young people, you know, one of the, the questions I always get is, when are you ready for sex? And I said, well, if you can look the other person in the eye, ask if they've got contraception, talk to them about what feels good and what doesn't, then perhaps you're ready to have sex. I but think it- the hard part with that too, though, coming back, and I guess, you know, our what was ingrained in me was more also about I don't want you to be hurt and I don't want you to suffer and there is a connection between a man and a woman or two partners when they have sex. I shouldn't say man and woman because other people, you know, Mm -hmm. that, that happens in all different kinds of scenarios. But if we are releasing these hormones, we do have this connection all of a sudden to someone, whether we like it or not. Mm. So I think this is really important to have that conversation is, you know, if you are choosing to have sex with somebody that you don't love, well, you are going to have this potentially connection mm. connection yes. and that's what can be the heartbreaking part of it too is that 100%. if you are if you've got all of that but they don't have that back for you then then what happens you know so Your it's not required love well it's just not as it's not physical no is it? no it's not and it's look sex is not a black and white thing there are so many variations within it and even you know what is so wonderful today is that we have many conversations about sexuality about mm. how you perceive your gender how you perceive your sexuality to be and it's so brilliant that we are opening up these conversations for all people to feel included in what this may look like for them. But your sexuality is unique as what your your handprint is. Mm. It is is completely over. Yeah. <laughs> yes. As I learned. Yes. yes. From your there, research. From my yes. research. Um, I think, no though, that the, the whole uh, same-sex marriage debate that happened in Australia not that long ago was interesting from that point of view because that conversation had to happen in a lot of households yes. that wouldn't have happened before. Totally. And, I mean, I remember my son asking me about what, what it was all about and I said, well, basically it's, you know, like we've got um, friends that are gay men and I said, well, it's basically should they be able to get married the way Daddy and I got married? And he went... 
yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. you know, we put, we project all totally. of this stuff onto yeah. children, but they yeah. really don't, they don't look at things the way no. adults do. And no. so if we can give them the facts without all the layers of... Yes, without all our own baggage. Yes, that yes. comes with it. That's, that's the key, I think, is that we place our baggage on our kids' shoulders without even realising mm. it. And so I often say to parents, you need to check yourself first of, it's does hard. this feel uncomfortable? What does that feel like for me? Go and talk to someone else about it first so you can clear out all your own crap so then you can come <laughs> back and then you can have these great conversations with your kids, you know, which is giving them the biggest gift ever because not only does it help them feel more comfortable around sexuality, it informs them and we know that education is powerful. It allows them then to make smart choices that feel good for them because they have all the information. And even going back to the puberty thing, when we're talking to our seven and eight-year-olds around what puberty looks like, it means that when they start to go through it, it's not scary. It's not terrifying. They don't think they're dying if they wake up one morning bleeding, mm-hmm. you know, um, between their legs. You know, they have an understanding, oh, this is what it is, you mm-hmm. know, and this is a really normal thing. And again, it normalises just all around our bodies, around sexuality, all that kind of stuff. So they're awkward conversations, but they're so important to so have. So true. I sometimes feel sorry for those dads that have like four daughters mm-hmm. and they're just no, their whole house is just they like, just got to get used to it. But there's just like stacks of tampons <laughs> and pads in the bathroom, and the t- dad's just like, oh, yeah. you open the cupboard and it all falls out. And it's Women's like, oh, business there. over there. Hilarious. Yeah. Um, we could keep talking about this. Obviously, we're running out of time. So, mm-hmm. Leo, how do we how do we get you to educate our kids? Well, <laughs> <laughs> so no pressure. At the moment, um, I'm doing stuff in high school. So it's mainly I'm doing work with um, 15 and 16 year olds. So mainly year nines and tens at the moment. But I do run workshops, a three hour introductory workshop for parents called How to Talk to Your Kids About Sex. So um, my website's just laylstone.com.au, and I usually have my dates and stuff on there that you can take a look at. So they are an excellent place to start where I give you just the age appropriate information that you want to be having these conversations around and we look at what some of the barriers are and how you can get over them and that just gives people I think this really wonderful foundation to go okay now I can go and start having these conversations Mm. so that we can open that up you know for for the future years. Uh, Fabulous. I think I need to come. Yeah yeah. (laughs) I'm frightened. I'm frightened about the conversation. Don't be frightened Cecilia face your fears. Yes exactly. Get in amongst it. Get my husband to do it. But what this is in no but Oh, well. well, I think you both need to be on the same page with this one. Yeah, you both need to come to the workshop. Yes, yes. Come. exactly. Yeah. It's just, and like last thing, it is so important for, for you know, both parents to have this conversation, mm. particularly to the opposite sex child too, so that again that it normalises mm. it and know that that's actually okay and understandable, those kind of things. So I think it's equally important for, for mums and dads to do it of any configuration. Mm. So good, such great advice. Hey, we love doing this and we love bringing these podcasts to everyone. So thank you so much for joining in today. Mm-hmm. What do we want them to do? Oh, okay. So Nat's got a thing where because you've listened all the way through, she'd really like you to rate us. I would love for you to do that. I would absolutely it love It is a big stars. help. It helps us to keep doing what we do because we love it does, doing this. It does. It does. And she's a little bit OCD about it. I know. Thanks for joining us. It's a race to get the ratings. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Thanks for joining us on this episode of The Wellness Collective and a big thank you to you, Lael Stone, for joining us. Uh, You were part of our podcasts in their fledgling life a couple of years ago. Before we grew up and got signage. That's right. Sponsorship. Very exciting. (laughs) Um, And no doubt we'll have you back again when you can start teaching us about, you know, sex ed for 20-year-olds. (laughs) Turn the corner. All right. Until next time, we hope you're feeling a little bit healthier. Happier and And better. better.